In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Dr. Deborah Ekstrom joins us this week on Money Tales. Early in her career, Deborah didn't have a lot of extra time with tremendous demands on her for the things she needed to learn for medicine. As she tells us, like most professional women, she got married, she supported her spouse through his journey, and had children who required her attention and nurturing. It was challenging. Learning about money wasn't a priority until it became one. At that time, Deborah found it difficult to find information to educate her, but she was determined. As she reflects back on those days, she's come to realize the more you know about finance and how money works, what the money rules are, and what your personal values and your ideals are related to money, the better you'll be at making good money decisions. Deborah created and runs Money Loves Women, a media and training corporation. The purpose of the business is to get more money, power, and influence into the hands of women. Deborah also produces a podcast under the same name that showcases wise and successful women as role models. Sandy and I are delighted to have been past guests on her show. Deborah also runs her own surgical practice and has done so for almost 40 years. Here are three key money topics Deborah hits on in this conversation. First, how if you ever hear someone who's uncomfortable with their money and investing knowledge say, money isn't my thing, guess what? They're wrong. Money is everybody's thing. Second, don't be afraid of making money mistakes. They're learning opportunities that can make you feel more secure with the knowledge you're building. And third, how a good financial advisor is somebody that you have great rapport with, who has a good reputation in the community and is willing to teach you without judgment. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Dr. Deborah Ekstrom. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Sandy, this past week I spoke with someone I've known for years who's an entrepreneur, built up quite a successful business, and she recently sold her business. Exciting. I know. So exciting. So wanting to have a money conversation, I sort of dove into it with her. And I wanted to hear how she's doing, celebrate this with her. And she shared she was great. She was vulnerable with me. And she shared that it's scary also because she has to now live off this money that she's earned. She's not planning on starting a new business. And so we talked about that reality of she's got to make this money last. And has she done some planning for herself and working with an advisor to make sure she understands what that means? 
She really has. And I was so happy to hear that. She's got a great team around her. And she kept mentioning how priceless that was. A wealth manager, accountant, the person who represented her on the banking side, really so helpful. But reality is that it still makes her uncomfortable. And again, I really appreciated the vulnerability because it makes sense. And did I sell too soon? Some of those questions that a pretty natural person would think about. Yeah, this come up in conversations with clients all the time. And it is a really big transition and lots of questions come up. Some like the one you just mentioned cannot be answered with any surety, but hopefully she made really good decisions for herself. And hopefully she is prepared to allow herself some time to transition into this new lifestyle and get used to drawing down from her portfolio, maybe for the first time ever, if that's her plan. So good luck to her. And so great that you engaged her in that money conversation and that she was willing to jump into it with you. I know it was really special. Well, let's transition over to our guest today on the Money Tales podcast. Welcome, Dr. Deborah Ekstrom. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me, Cami and Sandy. Deborah, would you introduce yourself and share with our listeners a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really influenced who you are today? Sure. I grew up in the Midwest on a farm, and I think I saw my mom not having much financial independence apart from my dad and being somewhat powerless. And I think that was really pivotal for me in deciding I wanted to have financial independence and not be dependent on a man. So that was a really big piece of my life. I also decided to not be a hairdresser as my mother really would have liked, probably because she wanted me to do her hair. And I was really interested in science and the social sciences. And I decided at about age 13 that I wanted to be a physician. And I did make that dream come true. It was a tough thing to do back in that day. I've been doing this now almost 40 years. So that was a tough thing to do. And it was a huge decision. I didn't really realize at the time what it was all about. But I finished through all of that. And because I'd made that early decision that I really wanted to be financially independent in a way that my mother never was, I think that's what really drove me to study wealth building the whole time of my career. And it's a challenge when you don't have the internet and lots of resources or a lot of mentors. So I spent a lot of time finding resources and teaching myself, really, going to conferences, getting advice, doing a lot of reading to teach myself wealth building. And that's really been a passion for me. I also really believe, perhaps through my profession, but just through my life, that women are incredibly important for the future. And in order for women to have the power that they need and the influence that they need, they need to grow their wealth. They need to have money. And you can do so much more when you have money than when you don't, or than when you have limited supply. I also think that wealth building or learning to be financially independent on your own, like the person you just talked about. It creates challenges for solving money problems. And when you solve money problems, you grow your money knowledge and you grow your money confidence. And I think it also forces you to become a better person. And all of those things I think are highly desirable in order to get women into the positions they need to be at, to stand shoulder to shoulder with men. Because ultimately what this is all about is not materialism, or classism or any of that for most women. What it's about is helping solve problems. What a great introduction. I cannot wait to dive into so many of those topics. We like to go back in time to that period in your life when you're on the farm. And 
share with us who taught you the most about money? I think probably my dad taught me the most about money by not teaching me about money very much. There was a lot of money anxiety. He would throw his receipts in a shoebox next to the radio and do his taxes with a fair amount of swearing at the end of the year. And I really never got taught to balance a checkbook or to know much about money, except that typically we didn't feel poor, but sometimes we felt broke. And that's really where I got a lot of my money influences, I think, along with my mom not really having financial power in the relationship. Now, tell us more about that. Well, back in that day, the 50s and 60s, if a woman worked and she was married, that was a sign of dishonor for her husband. So typically, women fit that cultural moray of not working and being the support system for their husband. So my father was farming. He was bringing in the money. Sometimes she would have chickens and sell eggs. Eventually, when we got older, she did get a job outside the home and brought in her own money and was able to like go to the beauty parlor and get her hair done once a week and so forth. So she did get some power in time. But typically, the decisions were being made, the major decisions were being made by my dad, or there was arguments over money. So that was my initial look at money. And it looked to me like marriage was a struggle, and some of the struggle was around finance. Yeah, those are pretty powerful messages to be taking away from your observation as a child. And so you said that you were interested in science and ultimately decided to study medicine. Tell us what role money played in that decision. For me to be able to study medicine, the first thing I had to do was really keep my costs down in college. So I did everything I could to get financial support through grants and loans to go through college because I knew I would need some money for medical school. And I always worked while I was in college doing whatever I could to raise some additional funds in a medical school to some extent too. So I did come out of medical school without too much debt. I didn't want to have a lot of debt. And in comparison to what people come out now with debt, I only had a small amount really. But that really was my major goal. I knew that physicians had a lot of challenging problems to solve. I got to work with people if I was working as a physician. And I really thought that would give me some income and some status, which is not the only reason I did it for sure, but that it would fulfill a lot of my needs. And as it turned out, I also am an artist. And isn't it funny how I ended up in something that has to do with psychology and art and medicine, but that I can be independent, be an entrepreneur. So it kind of ticked all the boxes for me. I think if I'd been influenced in a different way, I might've gone into business or been an entrepreneur, but I wasn't exposed to that really. And I didn't have a lot of mentors. And even in high school, we didn't have a lot of counselors who were directing us as far as where we should put our interests, where we should direct our interests. A lot of that was just free floating. Deb, as you were choosing your path in medicine, was money a factor? I don't think so. What happens when you're in medicine is you are doing clinical medicine and you're learning your factual medicine. And what happens is you rotate with different specialties to learn anesthesia or to learn primary care or to learn ear, nose, and throat or learn orthopedics or do burns or do plastic surgery. And what happens is you find where your personality fits in with that group. And I think that's what drives that forward. You really find where you get your joy out of that particular specialty. And I think it happens with nurses and lots of other people. People in finance, I think, have that same thing happen. They find where they fit, just like you guys. Maybe you wouldn't have liked Wall Street. Maybe you wouldn't have liked working for PricewaterhouseCooper. Maybe the demands would not have fit well with your life balance. 
idea or your ability to be an entrepreneur or to make your labor count for building your own business. I'm just guessing. I'm not saying that's what happened for you guys, but... No, you're right. I didn't have rotations per se, but you are right. You try certain things and sometimes it didn't feel like the right fit and you pivot. Yes. And I think lots of people do that. I think that's also why people don't always work in their area of training from college. So only about, I don't know, 20 some percent work in the area that they trained in and probably engineers often do and physicians certainly do and so forth. But lots of people in college end up in a different profession than what they trained in. And I think that's not necessarily a bad comment on a college education, but it is telling too that maybe you don't know so much at the beginning any more than you do as a physician where exactly you're going to fit. Yeah, life has its twists and turns that we learn from and really helps us focus the journey we want to be on ourselves. Yeah, agreed. So Deb, you went to medical school, you got out, your main driving goal was financial independence and you became interested in learning how to build wealth. Tell us about that particular journey. When did it start firing for you? I think very early on. The problem was I didn't have a lot of extra time. Plus, I had tremendous demands for the things I needed to learn for medicine. And then eventually, like every professional woman, probably you have a marriage, you're supporting somebody through their journey, and you have children who you need to pay attention to and nurture and help them develop. So it was like for most professional women, it was a challenge. And one of the things that happened for me was it was difficult, first of all, for me to find information before the internet existed. And then after the internet existed, there was too much information and I had to sort it through. And what I said to myself was, I would like to do this for women. I would like to create those resources for women, direct them so they don't have to spend so much time finding them. And then I would like to help them develop themselves financially In medical school, we always got taught, well, we're not going to spoon feed you, which was really laziness on the part of our professors. And I said, I think I'd like to spoon feed this to women so they don't have to figure it out on their own because it's a transferable skill. And when they come to someone like their financial advisor to really contribute the best toward their financial well-being along with their financial advisor, the more they know, the better decisions they can make. So whether you have a financial advisor or you're doing a lot of your investing on your own, however that happens to be, the more you know about finance and money and how money works, how money works in our country, what the money rules are, what your personal money rules are around your values and your ideals, these are all things to bring to consciousness so that you can make good money decisions. I had a friend recently who lost her financial advisor, and I asked her about her investing knowledge and her money knowledge. And she said, well, money's never really been my thing. And I thought, that's like saying health isn't my thing. (laughs) To me, that makes no sense. Money is everybody's thing. The other thing I noticed, you talked about this person who sold her business. Now she's got new money challenges, right? She's got new money problems to solve. And I think sometimes people think that if you have money or if you have more money, your problems will go away. That's not really what happens. The challenges that you have to solve just become a little more complicated. Not that anyone should shy away from that because your competence grows as your money grows, typically, unless you get a windfall in some way, an inheritance or something like that. But it's not like money makes your challenges go away. They just get bigger. It's such an important message. Yeah. Deb, you talked about when you were young, how important it was for you to achieve financial independence. How does that feel today? I just had a talk with my accountant and feels really, really good to not have to be concerned about money. 
The interesting thing, though, is that as I've grown my wealth, and I've made plenty of mistakes, I'll have to tell you, mistakes are a part of the journey, I think, even though we're taught that mistakes are bad, and sometimes you feel bad about your mistakes. But I've made lots of mistakes, but I feel so much more secure in the knowledge that I have. I feel so much more secure in the experience I've had. And I am excited about the next stages of wealth building. I acquired with two of my partners, acquired a business in January to have the experience of business acquisition and to create another stream of income. It just never gets old for me, honestly. The next challenge is so exciting in building this business, Money Loves Women, and taking on the opportunity to train women as regards money and their personal growth, the transformational experiences they can have. It's all very exciting. Tell us about coming up with the name of your business, Money Loves Women. It was hard to come up with a good name. Everything seems like it's taken if you've ever tried to get a URL. But I thought about how money gets a bad rap in terms of if you love money. It's sort of like thinking if you love your children, then they're going to love you back. You know, you don't feel bad about loving your children or your grandchildren, but loving money is considered in many negative lights. And I thought, well, let's turn that thought on its head and remind people that money loves them. And then they have to make a decision if they're going to love it back. I just really loved the whole idea of making people think about that because I think there's lots of stuff around loving money, but there's not a lot of stuff around money loving you. Really like that. Deb, I'm wondering with all that you've learned about money and I'll take a stretch, you didn't say this, but I think that you've let money love you for sure. What's the one lesson that stands out as the biggest to you as you look back so far in your life? I think the biggest thing that I've discovered is that how you develop yourself has a huge impact on not only your success in every aspect of your life, but also, and maybe especially on your financial well-being. So the Money Loves Women coursework is a stack of skills and mindsets, but it's also supported by two other things, and that's making your life work so you can work, which is a special challenge for women. And most importantly, your personal presence, your personal power, which is about who you're being while you're doing what you're doing. And I would not have expected in my early years that that was so incredibly, incredibly important. Would you give us an example to bring that to life, the doing piece? Sure. Let's say you're going to work every day as a wealth advisor, but you are not open to hearing or listening to people. You are very rigid in your recommendations and you can't work with one sex or the other because you have resentments against them. That's not going to really make your business successful. That's not going to make your relationships successful. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. Let's say that you and Cami weren't developed enough to really have a great relationship, that you were disagreeing all the time about the direction of your business. That's going to probably make your business fail. So those are the sorts of things I'm talking about. But not just that. It's also how people perceive you. Are you trustworthy? Are you open? Uh, Are you able to pivot? Or are you inflexible? And when people start to get impressions about you, people in all walks of life, they're either more likely to help you because you're an appealing person and they know you have good values because you demonstrate those, or they're simply not going to consider you for an opportunity if they don't trust you. 
if they don't think that you're capable of hard work or if you're capable of representing them well in a referral. So I think who you're being while you're doing what you're doing is incredibly important. Yeah, especially around money, right? Where people can have these hangups and taboos and these strong messages that we receive when we're children. If we can't be open to different views and perspectives around money, I think you're right. It can be very difficult to come into confidence and power. And we all have those messages. Some of them are inherited. Some of them are from our environment. And then some of them are from our training. So every one of us has those. And I've never run into anybody who didn't have some self-limiting and disempowering beliefs. Hey, Deborah, you you talked about this friend of yours who said something along the lines of investments aren't my thing. And I was just at a conference that was focusing on women in, in the financial services space. And a lot of us talked about hearing that from other women and how we want to change that. How would you go about chipping away? I mean, obviously your business is intended to help in this area, but what would be the first piece of advice you'd give someone who starts out with saying, investments aren't my thing? The first thing I would tell them is that 98% of women at some point in their life will be facing having to manage their own finances without the assistance of someone else in their life, aside from professional people. So sooner or later, it's extremely likely that you're going to be in charge of those decisions. And do you want a smart, educated, capable, confident person in charge of that yourself or do you not? And it's actually so incredibly common that we as women pass off that responsibility to another person. I can remember when I first got married and I kind of figured my husband would take care of that. He maybe didn't exactly agree with that, but I was kind of hoping that he'd take care of all of it so I wouldn't have to do it because I didn't like numbers. I didn't like paying bills. I was anxious around money. And then what I discovered was he thought that it was perfectly reasonable to pay the bills once every three months. And that's when I took over as the CFO of my family. Fortunately for me, it forced me to learn a lot and to get over some of my anxiety around money and having enough money. But because I grew up in a family, perhaps, that sometimes there were struggles around money and probably more than I realized even it still creates some anxiety for me. I have to admit that. And maybe it always will a little bit, but I try not to let that run my decisions. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up. It's helpful to hear that vulnerability. I think it can be really helpful in our lives to voice out loud some of the things that make us uncomfortable. I'm wondering in that situation with your husband, you were sort of forced to make a change to who was paying the bills because you weren't pleased with the timing of his actions. How did you change your mindset? I think I did a lot of reading and I also found someone to help me with that. So I don't love numbers. Numbers don't speak to me. I like them a lot better when they have dollar signs in front of them. I found that out. So when I could frame things in terms of financial well-being, it was easier for me to deal with my money issues. But I found someone to take on the parts of things I wasn't good at. And I found a woman who had worked for Fidelity and then started her own business. She's a bookkeeper technically, but she does much more than that. And we interacted really well. She taught me. She seemed to really enjoy the interactions with me and the things I had learned. And we shared together a lot. And she even told me that this morning when I talked to her, she said, I so enjoy talking to you. But I have become so much more capable and competent, but it wasn't easy to get over that reluctance, not at all. And I'm sure you guys see it all the time in your practice. I forced myself because I didn't like the alternative of feeling powerless. 
sometimes you just have to take a big breath and say, I'm jumping in and I'm doing this. Yeah, totally true. Tell us on the mistakes that you've referenced once again, so honest and vulnerable to share. Do you think you've learned more from the mistakes? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, there we go. Mistakes teach you, right? They stick. Early on in my business, I didn't put enough effort into my business. I didn't really like being in the location I was in. I didn't anticipate staying there. So I didn't put the effort into my business that I should have to grow it and follow it. And one of the things I didn't do was really watch the numbers well and set goals. And I had to learn to do that. And I'm still learning to do it. And I'm still learning to refine my business more and more and more. It's a mature business now. And we function really well. The other thing I had to learn was people, how to really manage people well. And to do that, I had to learn to manage myself. And that was a really big piece of some mistakes I made in terms of not managing myself as well as I could have. Say more about managing yourself, would you? So I tend to be what we call a pace setter, somebody who has likes everything done quickly and with excellence and sometimes totally unrealistic to work for. And I got over that. I got over feeling like people needed to be working every single minute, that I needed to be working every single minute and just let go of some of that and let it flow and do more training and have people have more say in how the goals were to be accomplished and help people feel powerful and included and create a really great team. I didn't know how to run a really great team or I didn't even know how to hire well. So those are some of the mistakes I made. I also made investing mistakes. So as soon as I had 20,000 extra dollars, I felt like I needed to invest it somewhere. And I didn't learn enough about the areas that I was investing in. So I invested in real estate and then learned about real estate after I made mistakes. I invested in private equity and then learned about private equity after I made mistakes. I was always a little afraid of the stock market and that's probably rightfully so. Then learned to become a value investor. So that felt much better to me. And the more I read, the more I was able to differentiate who was giving good advice and who wasn't. I was more educated. I could ask better questions. And it takes time to find good advisors. So I was better and better at finding good advisors. And then as my circles improved in terms of the people I was around who were building wealth, and by the way, physicians aren't very good most of the time at teaching that kind of stuff. We don't get taught any of that in college or medical school, typically. And I was around physicians and medical health professionals. But as my circles increased, I got more influence from people who were in other walks of life. And it was very helpful. Deborah, I'm curious, you talked about good advisors. How would you describe a good advisor? I think a good advisor is somebody that you have great rapport with, who has a good reputation in the community. And you should check to see you know, what are other people saying in terms of their interactions with this person. And then someone to whom, if you act, ask intelligent questions, are willing to teach you. And I think if all of those things are in place, you have someone who's a good advisor. And then you monitor them along. You should not expect them to teach you from scratch. That's not good use of their time or your money. You should expect them, though, to teach you when you ask intelligent questions and to sort of be your sounding board without judgment. I love the importance of teaching. We totally agree. That's experience something we're really passionate about and trying to be that deep listener to when someone says, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. And you hear it trail off, (laughs) right? Circling back and making sure that they do understand. Maybe you've seen this too, but 
I find that women are really afraid to look dumb about money. I think everyone does. Everyone. And it's so hard, right? Because we don't get trained officially around money. So we're all dumb about money and we shouldn't be embarrassed about that because how could we possibly learn? Our parents may not have known. Mostly they didn't. Our teachers didn't know. Our religious figures don't know. Our professors. Yeah, they don't know. A lot of them have never really worked out in the commercial world. I was just listening to someone talk about she's a CFO for a startup of 20 and 30 year olds who have a really great idea and come out of a very good school of engineering. And she said it's really hard to get through to them. They think that they make the best CEO possible in their business. (laughs) And they think all it takes is a good idea. They don't understand that they're not expert at raising money. And there's many other areas they're not expert at. And if they're going to be successful with this really great idea, which it is, they're going to have to put some other things in place and depend on some advisors and be open to input. And I think when you're in your 20s and 30s and you are really good at what you do and you do and you are very bright geniuses, the negative on that end is it's really hard to take advice and take input. Yep. You have to be open to it and find the advisor who's going to help you really focus on where they can be of most help to you and getting you to where you want to be. I think to some extent, they're afraid of looking dumb because they're so smart in their engineering, so smart with their idea, but they don't want to look dumb about being incapable of, or maybe not being the best CEO or not being the best CFO or not having the best skills around raising money and so many other things. But again, it's that whole thing of, I don't want to look dumb. Yeah, we see that a lot in the work that we do. And one of the ways we try to help people get over that feeling, that concern is just to encourage them to act with curiosity and ask questions as opposed to having any judgment or concern over the questions that you're asking. It is just a different framing. The other thing I would say, interacting with you two, I suspect, and maybe women do this better, you make your clients feel very safe to be able to talk about their concerns and fears without being judged. And I think that's really important that women have that. I think so too, especially when working with advisors, you want to make sure that the advisor is creating a very safe spot for you to make a decision. I can't say this enough. The advisor really needs to focus on you, what's most important to you and what you're trying to achieve, as opposed to just spouting off whatever they think is important. Back to your point of being a good listener. I had an advisor that I interviewed one time and he kind of patted me on the back and said, don't worry, we'll take care of everything. And I thought, oh, I don't think I can deal with this paternalistic sort of approach. So I didn't stay there. (laughs) Yeah. Style is very important. Yeah. Hey, Deb, what's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? It's interesting because I had this conversation with my strategist this morning. And my desire for my next money conversation, because I have just put my signature course out, which is about the foundations of wealth building. But what I really want to put out there now, because I think it's A, very timely, and B, incredibly important and motivating, is to start looking at the different ways you can invest, doing some mini courses to show people this is how much time this is going to take, this is what you're going to invest money-wise and in learning, and this is what your potential return on your investment will be, and this is how much time it takes to maintain it. And I've never seen anybody do that. So I, for one, believe that when you're deciding to invest, you should choose on your own anyway, choose an area to focus on so that you become a master of that area. You'll make fewer mistakes and you'll get better returns. 
But unless you know what's involved in each one of these areas, how are you supposed to choose? Some people love real estate. Some people love the stock market. Some people like tax deeds. Some people love to run businesses. Some people are better suited to acquire a business and not start up a business. Some people want to learn about Bitcoin. They think it's the greatest thing ever, and they really want to find out what all of that's about. And maybe they're very risk tolerant. and They want to have a little bit of money in there just as a game or just to see what they can do. Other people are saying, I don't know, I need to be thinking about what's going on with precious metals and see if that's an area that I need to do some deep research. So I think my next conversation is going to be around, let's look at what all of these parameters are around these different types of investing. And then you can decide, do I want to do this? Or do I just want to learn enough about it to make sure my advisors and I can have intelligent conversations? Or do I want to have the confidence to run this area on my own? And I'm going to learn one. And then when I become a master, I can learn another. And that's my next conversation. Oh, Deb, it's great. I love the idea of focus and not the next shiny object and keep chasing after and trying to understand whatever is the topic du jour at the news cycle. And I do appreciate also this mini course approach because attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. Tell us, if someone wants to find you, what's the best place for them to reach you? They can email me at drdr.deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, Ekstrom, E-K-S-T-R-O-M, all hard to spell, dot com. Or they can go to my website and connect with me, moneylovesWomen.com. They can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Deborah, thanks again. What a wonderful conversation we had with you today on Money Tales. So delightful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.